welcome to the Back End Business Podcast. I'm business journalist, broadcaster and podcaster, Mickey Clark. And I'm small business journalist, Liz Barkley, and we'll be talking about Brexit today, apart from the great news about the vaccine, that it started its long and complicated rollout on Tuesday. Brexit seems to be the only subject in town, Mickey. Um, deal Not rotten, Sunday anyway. Deal rotten, deal no deal. Well, I, I'm, I, I was like Simon McVicker. I, I thought there would be a deal because that would be the common sense approach. It's better to have a deal between the two countries. Um, and remember, they sell more to us than we sell to them. So I would assume we, we would have got some sort of deal. But they've decided to play politics, which is what Brexit's been all about for what the past four and a half years. Um, and common sense doesn't come into it. So here we are dangling on a piece of string. Um, will we, won't we, will we, won't we? Um, we've just got to wait and see what happens. But if you take the pessimistic route, we survived before the common market, which you know many people will be surprised about. I'm sure we can you know, survive again. There are a lot of business people out there who actually know what they're doing. Well, that's absolutely true. And we're not talking about whether leaving was a good idea, bad idea, whether no. we should have remained or not remained. We're simply done and saying, dusted. Yeah, all done and dusted. We are where we are. And so we just really want to know what's going to happen. But I think the whole country wants to know what's going to happen. And of course, we're recording on Friday. <laughs> By the time we post this podcast on Monday, everything yeah. could have changed. Sod's law, that's called. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it, it, is anyway. in, it is interesting at the moment. I mean, I, where I'm sitting now, I'm probably about six miles from Dover you know, the, the gateway to Europe. And uh, we're sort of hearing whispers about hold-ups, this, that and the other. But I know for the past three years, the other ports along the English coast, Felixstowe, Harwich, Tilbury, have all been clamouring to get business off of Dover. This is an ideal opportunity for them. So I suspect that the hold-ups that perhaps we are seeing now, A, is due to retailers doing what the the, the, the consumer did at the start of the lockdown and hauled it because we heard in the week Tesco has been opening warehouses and stocking them with non-perishable stuff um, so there's no shortages good idea but it means all the lorries are now coming through Dover and, and the other ports in one hit that isn't going to be the case forever um, but it's getting over that uncertainty it's, you know businesses have to plan and clarity is a, well, it's a very valuable commodity these days. There's not a lot of it around. And in the meantime, if you shopped online and you've got all your Christmas presents on order, they could be in a container somewhere. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> um, is not good. No, not great. Simon McVicker, our Director of Public Affairs Policy and Communications, is here. Simon, last week you told us there was going to be a deal. <laughs> Indeed, last Friday it looked like there was a deal in the bag, but then the weekend happened, and um, I think the French tightened their their position, and uh, we then got into uh, well, shall we say, panic stations? Because they always threatened to Simon, didn't they? I just didn't think yeah. they'd be that stupid. Well, the French always like to have a bust up, but you know, Macron's got his own political problems, and people uh, like the fishermen in 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 France are hugely. Uh, influential politically you know he, he's got a presidential elections coming up he's got the regional elections next year Marie Le Pen is you know barking away at around 20% of the vote so you know he's got problems uh, but the thing is 
how much is this is brinkmanship and how much is this for real? Now, I still think they will do a deal. Whether it'll be a good deal, I don't know, but I still think it's in the interest, as Mickey says, of both sides to get something through. And I think that's where Germany is, and that's really important. And um, one thing I would say is Ursula von der Linden is there because of Angela Merkel. She was not the choice, the original choice. So they are very close, and she will be doing Angela Merkel's bidding. You're almost saying that the French are holding the rest of Europe to ransom because actually, come on, it's in everybody's interest to get a deal. So the French can't have gone there alone. But French always do this. They all it's a negotiating tactic of the French. They've left it up to the last minute when there's yeah. little else you can do. Yeah, You're up exactly. against the clock. So yeah. if you want to chuck a spanner in the works, now yeah. is the time to do it. And the French always do that. Yes, um, I agree with you, Mickey. They always do this. They've done it throughout history. And this is just them doing it again. Um, but I do think there is another point here that they are showing that it is not an easy thing to leave the European Union. And they're saying, look, unity. Uh, yeah, any other country thinking along these lines, you better just take note. Uh, but there is a serious point here because apart from France, I think there are three countries that are really worried about a no-deal Brexit. That's Ireland, Belgium, and the Netherlands, who all do massive trade with the United Kingdom. Now, uh, are they going to sit quietly by and let this slip into a no-deal situation? Uh, and I would say the Benelux countries are probably pretty close to the German government. So I'm not giving up hope, Liz, but this has been a very strange year. Uh, well, absolutely. I was just trying to look up what spanner was in French. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a, a clay. <laughs> a clay. <laughs> Adam, Adam Payne is with us, and Adam is a, a multi-award winning nominated senior reporter from uh, UK on UK politics from Business Insider. Uh, Adam, I suspect you've been working on this for the past however many years, what, six years or so? <laughs> What's your view on what's going on? Uh, thanks for having me, everyone. Um, well, it's great God, to have you. Thank I, you for joining I, us. I don't know how many years I've been doing this. It certainly feels like a decade, if, if not more. Um, I think, well, let, let's start with the, the question we're probably all obliged to answer. I, stink, I still think there will be a deal, um, just about. Um, my... I'm definitely the least confident I've ever been about in, in that prediction, to be honest. Um, I think, well, I think that the, the point is in terms of a, just kind of approaching this from a point of view of someone who writes about how politics impacts business is that the, the difference between a deal and there not being a deal is not as big as it used to be. So when Theresa May was in government, what she wanted to negotiate and secure with the European Union was a much closer relationship with the EU. What Boris Johnson's going for is a pretty loose trading relationship. Okay, it will eliminate tariffs and that'll be, well, that, that'll come as a huge relief to businesses across a number of industries. But on January, in early January, um, there's going to there's be disruption at the ports that, that you've already mentioned. I actually think that, um, 
I, th- I kind of agree with, with, with something that Mickey said about um, in, in Kent. I think all the TV cameras, I imagine, will be in Kent um, and around Dover in early January because that's become almost like the epicentre of this debate. But I actually think the bigger problems might be in parts elsewhere around the country. I know that Hollyhead in Wales is a bit of a mess at the moment. Um, Felix store on the East Coast, which Mickey mentioned, has problems at the moment. You might have seen in the news that sort of like a triple whammy of Brexit stockpiling, of Christmas demand for retail goods, and also huge shipments of PPE are creating blockages um, at that part. Um, so, and, and what, what does this mean for business? Well, what are we now? We are, what day is it today? Um, the 11th. So we're 20 days from New Year's Eve. We're 20 days um, from the end of a transition period and businesses across a number of sectors are still crying out for operational details of how this is all going to work. Um, they still don't know whether there'll be tariffs on their goods. They still don't know for sure how these IT IT systems are, are, um, are going to be working. Um, you might have seen um, Ian Wright, who's the president of the Food and Drink Federation. He appeared before um, a parliamentary committee this week, and he made the point that, look, the government has started to announce various sort of packages and pieces of information, but it's just far too late now. Um, a lot of this work had to start weeks ago, if not months ago. Um, and of course, as you all know, small businesses in Britain have, have spent most, if not all of their time dealing with coronavirus. They haven't had time to think about this, um, what for a while has felt like almost like a hypothetical notion while, while they're trying to deal with something which is very real and which, and which is affecting them now. Um, so so trader readiness is, is not where it should be. Um, so what, what ties that quite convoluted monologue altogether? I think that um, I think there will be a deal. I just think that um, Boris Johnson putting my political hat on, um, he has form in selling out people. He sold out the DUP to strike the withdrawal agreement. I think he will make some sort of concession on the so-called level playing field to get a deal over the line just because the prospect of no deal disruption combining with a potential third wave in the coronavirus and all the usual bad stuff we get in this country at winter time, we'll have probably have some really bad weather as well. Um, I just don't think he's going to take that risk, but whatever happens, there's going to be disruption for British business and indeed business on the continent as well. Well, let's ask the business person in the, in the Zoom, as opposed to the room, Alex Stewart, uh, who runs one, uh, five, nine, 195 and makes travel accessories. Alex, um, your biggest markets are Germany and Ireland. What impact is all this uncertainty having on you? Oh, I mean, I think that we're, we are probably one of these small businesses that Mickey referred to that probably isn't organised right now. And that Adam referred to as being one that's been floundering all year and panicking about the pandemic. Um, so, I mean, we are, we are relatively fortunate in the sense that we don't bring goods in from Europe, um, come from Asia. But, uh, yeah, come, come January the 1st, uh, we have no idea um, what tariffs will be charged when we, when we send goods to any of our customers in the rest of the EU. Um, 
the only thing that seems to be uh, continually on repeat is about apply for an EORI or your EORI number. Um, beyond that, there doesn't seem to be a great deal more advice really for small business. We have been told to check what you have to do, yeah. get ready, prepare, be ready for the 1st of January. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah, the, obviously the, the, the transition tool has been, is out there and people have been encouraged to use the transition tool to, to figure out how they might be impacted. Um, Actually, I think all that's doing is probably scaring business more because it's saying this is what might happen to you, but you've got no idea how to actually action it or, or to respond to these things. So, I mean, yeah, from our perspective right now, there's there's uncertainty around, like I already mentioned, the, expo or the export of goods to the rest of Europe. Um, there's confusion around things like trademarks and design rights and are they still valid in the rest of Europe anymore or can somebody go and start stealing our designs or, or ripping us off in, 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 an, EU, in an EU country? Um, and then the other one is probably around data as well. So are we at risk of um, sort of lacking GDPR compliance by, by, by not storing certain people's or certain countries' data in certain ways now, now or once we leave the EU? Well, that, that, that is the point now. I mean, what, what Alex is saying is that the government can't offer clarity on the situation because it doesn't know what the situation <laughs> is. And one of the things that Johnson has done, which you have to admire him in some respects, is he's put a clock on it, a time limit, and said we will negotiate up to that point and we will negotiate no further. Because if you do what the EU wanted us to do, was just to let the talks ramble on, that works in their favour. It doesn't work in ours. So the talks could have gone on for, forever and ever. and We'd never get a solution. And we certainly never have any clarity. So in some respects, we have to have a decision now. But of course, for the likes of Alice, Alex and other companies, it's coming too late. It's too close to the wire. I mean, yeah, it, it does feel like a bit of a perfect storm for me at the moment in the sense that there's rather kind of the legal aspects that, that businesses are considering, but there's also the the knock-on aspects as well, which Adam, you sort of touched on that point around the port. So we were, we, we fell victim of that. And uh, we spent the first, first two weeks of November panicking that, uh, yeah, we wouldn't get our new, our new products into the UK. So um, our, our cargo ship spent two weeks um, in the, uh, between the English Channel and Rotterdam port. And uh, we were at risk at one point that the ship would have to cut and run. If, if it had to wait any longer, it would just have to go back and take all our stock with it. Well, yeah, what, what, what I was going to say was, um, just in response to Mickey and Alex, is that I, I think the issue is um, implementation. So I think most businesses would agree with Mickey that, you know, we need to know, we need certainty on what, what we're heading for. What, what is this going to look like on January 1st? And even, and business people always say, they've said to me that even if what we're heading for isn't our desired outcome, it might not be what we'd have chosen as our, um, our personal preference. We just need to know what it's going to be so we can prepare. The problem is that there is so much to prepare for, so much. We're talking about a fundamental altering of our most important trading relationship in a matter of weeks, right? The, the Northern Ireland, the protocol for Northern Ireland, which we could spend a whole podcast episode talking about, um, the command paper for that protocol, all it came out yesterday. So businesses in Northern Ireland only found out yesterday 
and business in GB that trade with Northern Ireland, um, key details of what of um, how they're going to trade in two weeks' time. So I think that is why you will have seen so many big business groups call for an, a period of adjustment. So what they want is, in an ideal world, they want the UK and the EU to just get this deal over the line and then baked into this deal, you might have a, a period of a few months, let's say two to three months, maybe more, where if it's not quite a standstill, you just, you give businesses waivers, you give them exemptions from certain rules and regulations. So they have time to catch up with all this stuff. We're seeing, we've seen a bit of that in the Northern Ireland Protocol. So for example, the UK and the EU has agreed that for six months, very strict EU rules on sausage exports and chilled meat, they'll, they'll let them slide for six months because they realize that businesses have been too busy with coronavirus. You don't have time to think about all of this. So they need that time, that six months to catch up. And I think it would be, although, although Boris Johnson is insistent that, you know, Brexit sort of, to, to borrow from Theresa May's lexicon, Brexit means Brexit on, on January 1st, I would not be surprised at all if the government very quietly sort of agreed to grace periods, adjustment periods, perhaps all relax. Yeah. So I have a deadline for when the deal is due like we did with the withdrawal agreement you, yeah. you have an implementation period but once you've got a conclusive result from the talks on whether you've got a deal or not then you have a six month implementation period where businesses can reflect and take action to do something about it whereas at the moment you're being kick-started straight down you know out the talks one day and into implementation the following day it, it, it is a recipe for chaos um, and it's partly due to the fact that we failed to get an agreement with the EU. I uh, I would say that um, you know leaving the EU is an uh, you know a major thing for any country to do. It's never really been done before, and I think it's very difficult for uh, the government uh, really to be clear to business uh, what what it's going to be like because we're not really going to know what it's going to be like until we're there and how we see it operating. And what I worry about is that it's only when we see it in operation, we'll think, oh, we need to go back to the EU and start renegotiating different parts of it. And so what we could see is an ongoing process of renegotiation or negotiation. And uh, that will be even worse for business. Even well, that's, what I, was that's yeah. what I was just about to say, Simon. What you're yeah. spelling out is elongated uncertainty exactly and throw into all of that you know we could have the breakup of the united kingdom we could have different countries going different ways we could have a labor government in four years time who would want to renegotiate to things anyway so i think we are in for a long period of uncertainty and throw on top of all of that then covered which is going to be still with us and still having a huge effect on the economy for the next five years. Simon, I totally agree with that. I mean, when I look at yeah, the combination of, of COVID-19 this year alongside Brexit, I think for me, uncertainty breeds um, stagnation within the business community. So rather than investing in, 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 in something new or, or planning a new project, all I've seen is actually you, you, you kind of, you, you sit tight, you, you just kind of suck it and see and see what happens really. And, and, yeah. and 
you don't want to be the one that puts your head above the parapet and takes the risk. You you let somebody else do it and and then sort of see see what that happens and yeah. eventually you'll take action down the line when you do feel confident that there is um, yeah. meaningful guidance that you can actually action. I would suggest we've been here before in the 1970s. And what was our solution then? Join the EU. <laughs> no, no, no. We joined, we joined the common market, Simon. Oh, well. Not the EU. <laughs> I mean, it was, a, it was a good deal in those days. It was, it was a trading platform. This isn't. And I think this is what's upset a lot of cantankerous Brits. And there are a few of us around, old what, and cantankerous. <laughs> what, what I would say, there's the point Simon just made about this being an ongoing process. I think he's so right. Um, let's take one issue, financial services, which doesn't really get talked about much anymore, which is, I think, is bizarre given it such, makes up such a big share of our economic output. Financial services hasn't even been dealt with in this tr in this free trade deal at all. Um, that industry, and it's not just a city of London sort of southwest thing, as as you all know, for financial services firms across the country. I think Edinburgh is a, a big hub for it. Leeds is, Manchester is. They're going to have to wait another few months when the EU decides how much access or equivalence, as you call it, to grant the financial services industry, and just more widely. If you look at Switzerland, Switzerland has been in like a um, perpetual negotiation with the EU for years now. I, I think for decades over over uh, this and that. And I think you're right, Simon. I think if if we do get a Labour government, uh, which is a big if, um, in in a few years' time, you, you could bet that Keir Starmer will want to kind of renegotiate that relationship. And who knows? I mean, a Tory government might might decide to do that if if the economy hits the wall. Um, the, the, the political atmosphere might change, public opinion might shift, and a close relationship with the EU in which we sort of surrender a bit of our sovereignty in return for market access suddenly might become cool again. Um, who knows? But I, I think I, this will be an ongoing process for a long time to come. Yeah, all, all I will say in defence of, of the city, because I worked in there for so long, was mm. that back in the 70s, Europe was talking about London being overshadowed by Frankfurt, Tokyo, New York, Paris. It never happened. London mm. is a major financial hub. And I think it's, it's the ace card in our pack. Um, I think the EU would be reluctant to take on the city of London and force through the demands that it's done so far because it's an international community and it's, it's still a, a centre hub. It's got not only the Lloyd's insurance market, it's got the foreign exchange market, it's got the correct timeline, um, and it's got the backing of numerous international banks. I think the EU would think twice before picking on that the same way they have other industries like fishing. Well, if, if that's the case, and my question was, you know, why when I, and the fishing industry is extremely important, and I get that, but it does make up just 0.1% of the UK economy. The GDP, and, yeah. And as Adam said, the financial services sector is a much, much bigger issue as far as the economy is concerned. So but they haven't why been saying anything, have they? Yes. Why are we talking what, about you've fishing heard and not about from financial, financial services? Because the why fishing, is that? the fishing was the industry that was destroyed by the EU. You know, and there are a lot of touchy people still out there who remember when we had an industry, and they know that Ted Heath sold them down the river, pardon the bun, but that that's what happened. That the same's not going to happen with finance. Finance is a massive organisation and they've been very quiet. Do you remember HSBC three years ago? We're going to move our domicile. They're still here 
and they're still, you know, doing what they do, which is is running their operations from London, even though and, their domicile is supposed to be in Hong Kong. But just to Adam to come back on the whole to the whole business point of all of this, and, and Alex mentioned it. Alex said all this uncertainty leads to stagnation. Um, we are seeing the economy hit the wall. The last thing we need is big businesses sitting on their cash piles and not investing. What's going to unlock all of this? And, and is Brexit just simply going to make the uh, recession that we're going to go into last even longer? That's a big question, isn't it? I mean, what, what I would say just, just on fishing, I think that fishing is such a such a interesting issue because although it doesn't contribute that much to the economy, it's got so much emotional value. It's got connotations of sovereignty and control and territory. There's something quite visceral about it, I think, fishing. It, it really strikes to the core of like the British psyche, whereas financial services, despite its economic importance, doesn't really have an emotional backstory. And the, the emotions that are there, to be honest, are probably negative. People associate financial services with bankers and the, and the 2008 crash. Yeah. And people like yourself and Simon, of course, Adam can remember when Royal Navy boats were sent out to Iceland because Icelandic boats were coming in, pinching our fish, trying to ram British boats, and it became very much a case of them against us. It does have a habit of raising the hackles, as far as the Brits are concerned, when their sovereignty is challenged. And the fishing industry is one where it's been challenged because they've had such a rough time. Well, of course, I'm younger than you, Mickey, but um, didn't we lose that war with Iceland? Don't you count that, the winters? Isn't that, isn't that what happened? We actually <laughs> lost that war with Iceland. But the Royal um, Navy was there. And, yeah, you know, but, uh, you know, uh, is this what we really want? You know, the Royal I'm not saying it's what we want. What I'm saying oh, is it uh, happened, and it was why the fishing limits yeah. were pushed out to 250 miles from our coast. This is what's causing a lot of the problems now. Well, the French not, would love it, to encroach. It's the Spanish and the Irish, they want to uh, fish Bulk containers in yeah. the 12 mile limits. What, what I would say, Liz, Liz, to actually to answer your question, which I sort of very rudely didn't, <laughs> didn't answer. Yeah. What I would say was that the problem is that there's been this idea that even people in government have thrown around that because the economic impact of coronavirus has been so appalling, and it has, and widespread, that it will almost make any impact of Brexit redundant, or it will dwarf it. But the problem is that the coronavirus has acutely affected certain parts of the economy, i.e. hospitality, tourism, services, but a no-deal Brexit would acutely affect other parts of the economy which haven't been that badly affected by coronavirus. So things like manufacturing, um, the automotive industry, food and drink, um, like food and drink supply chains have actually held up really well during the coronavirus pandemic. So the big risk is if you, you have this double whammy of COVID and a no-deal Brexit, you're going to have disruption across the economy across virtually every part of the economy and um it would just be the worst sort of cocktail of of economic disruption and uh, well it'd be of, it'd be of really historic historic proportions i wish i could say something a bit more optimistic but well i wish you could too <laughs> frankly but um i haven't even we haven't even uh 
touched on the issue of the very small businesses at the ends of these supply chains um, and the freelancers, how are they going to be affected? How are small companies like Alex going to get through this? I think, well, Alex, you know, might be best place to answer this, but I, it's going to be tough. I mean, small businesses up and down the country have just, most of them just haven't had time to think about Brexit. A lot of them don't have the in-house resources they need to complete these new customs declarations, for example, talking about exporters now. Um, and, and the ones who need to hire customs experts can't really afford to do so. Um, it's going to be it's going, it's going to be hard, and I and I think you know the government. I think there'll be significant. It's already announced significant financial support for businesses impacted by the coronavirus. It's yesterday it announced I think four hundred million quid for businesses in Northern Ireland affected by Brexit. So I wouldn't be surprised if the government released some more cash. I mean, now is the time to splash the cash. Interest rates are low. So if we're, if we're gonna if, if we're gonna you know spend billions upon billions sort of protecting small businesses who don't deserve any of this, then I think the time is now. So it would not surprise me if the government released some um, supporting funds to get us through the first few months um, of Brexit, particularly if, if it's if it's an ordeal outcome. I mean, it's worth it's worth pointing out, Liz, that that the small businesses that will be trading next year and having survived COVID will be the ones that are well managed with plenty of innovation and a good you know, financial structure. Um, those with the bad ideas and those that are not well managed and their management can't adapt, as in with any other respect, they will fall by the wayside. And we're seeing that now. Um, Alex, what's your situation, do you think? Mickey, you're spot on there in what you said. I mean, it kind of feels like we're treading water at the moment. That's really how it feels this year between being strongly affiliated to the travel industry and the impact that's already had from, from COVID-19 and then looking ahead, it does just feel like we have to kind of sit it out, which, you know, we're, we're, in, we're in no major risk because we're sort of fairly, fairly agile and smart in the way we run things. But, uh, yeah, we just kind of hope that you, you kind of come out of the other side and then, then you see that boom effect. Um, I mean, what's, what's all this doing to your costs, though, Alex, and therefore your prices? I mean, the thing for us really, we're a small business and we're still we're still growing. But rather than actually impacting cost as much, it's more actually impacting growth. I think that's the way we see it. So, um, yeah, I mean, like we say, we we bring in product from China, so we're not as as much of a risk of that. It's more just the the ambitions that we did have to grow at the moment have been have been slowed. So, I mean, from a practical perspective, I know that. Um, ourselves along with other businesses that don't work with perishable goods are now looking at how we actually just bypass the UK altogether. So we'll have to think about uh, things like applying for German VAT numbers or creating German entities. And then actually, rather than bringing everything into the UK, we'd then start to think about splitting, splitting shipments. So uh, yeah, from Germany, we then have the option to be able to uh, distribute goods to the rest of the EU and, and, and run them as two separate entities. But again, it's challenging because Right now we're a team of three, so we, you know, Adam pointed out we don't we don't have a chief compliance officer, we don't have uh, an internal specialist who deals with um, the complexities of, of tariffs in different different countries and things. So, what about health and safety? You got an health and safety officer, surely? That's that's me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, but having having said all that, then Adam, what if the government were to come forth with some help and support over the next few months? Let's say there is a longer period of time for small businesses, as Adam has suggested, in order to get used to the new rules and regulations. What would you like that help and support to be? What would you like the government to come up with? Right now, it, for me, it's not a monetary thing. It's, it's, it's information. I think information would be the most powerful thing that uh, a small business could receive right now to, to actually uh, take positive action. So, I mean, obviously, we've seen lots of different monetary schemes and, 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 and financial help this year for business, which is great. But I think businesses just want to get back on their own two feet and be back in control of running their own business, making decisions for themselves and not feeling like they are truly reliant on uh, business grants or, you know, government help. I think it, it feels like it's a precarious place to be. And I think people want to have that confidence again to make business decisions for themselves, you know, planning for the future. Adam, what would you be saying to our listeners who are small businesses and freelancers? What should they be doing just now? I am... Um... I guess all you can do it because ultimately, as as Alex Alex hit the nail on the head, what they need at the moment is information. Um, small businesses will say, "Look, just tell us what we need to do, and, and we'll try our best to do it." I just encourage them just to try and keep as close an eye as possible on government, the government website, what the government's putting out in in, rega in regards to um, Brexit preparation. Um, because I, I hope there's going to be a real, I think in the next two weeks or so, there's probably going to be um, a wave of information which comes their way. And all they can do is just try as hard as they can um, to, to, to prepare for it. Um, as, as, as the other, um, as Mickey and Alex have said, businesses, you know, are adaptable uh that they, they, they can that they're, they're agile that they're smart you know they they will plenty of them will be able to get through this and thrive somewhat you know at the other at the other side but for the next few weeks i think it, it is going to be tough i think january is going to come as a bit of a shock to the country i think um uh, so the best advice i could give it is just to you know and also pressure, I mean, pressure their MPs. I mean, if, if they feel that, um, speaking in a neutral journalistic capacity, of course, uh, if, if they feel that they're not getting enough information, then, you know, tell, they should tell their MP. They should try and get in touch with, with the government. They should get in touch with any trade association that, that represents them um, because they're needing, they need information. They need it now. So they really need to be pushing for it. Adam, we, we've talked a lot about government support over the, the past few months. And um, you're quite right. If the government has been spending money, now is the time to run up a debt because interest rates are so low. But what's also bothered me is the fact that they, they've said they've given holidays for this and holidays for that. But I do worry that come the new year, as things are meant to improve, businesses are going to be hit by a double whammy of, of, of costs, whether it be VAT holidays, national insurance holidays, or anything like that. Um, and I, I don't know whether they'll be able to withstand that. Yeah, I th that's such that, and I think that's a point that doesn't perhaps get made enough, that um, if, if these things align, i.e. Um, Brexit disruption, and then 
support put in place for coronavirus starts to fall away. I, th- I think you're absolutely right, Mickey, that, that government like, businesses could face all sorts of costs. And that it's, it's, that's, it's a difficult question, isn't it? I mean, obviously, we're close to a vaccine now. Well, we've started rolling out the vaccine, hopefully by the spring, the public health issue um, will have been abated. But the economic problem really won't have. I mean, do, do we just cut off the financial support there and then once X amount of the population has been vaccinated or, or do we continue it towards the end of the year just, just to give businesses the, the sufficient support and um, resources they need? I think that's such an important point you've raised that, um, you know, they're not, the businesses won't be out of the woods once the, the Oxford vaccine arrives and people start getting vaccinated um, en masse. Well, I think uh, between you and Mickey, you've just set the entire agenda for the podcast for next year. <laughs> 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 um, right, okay, the podcast gets uh, posted on Monday. By Monday, this is Friday. Who knows? Any, who any knows? predictions? Okay, who knows from Mickey? What about you, Adam? Any predictions? predictions. Um, I think there will be a deal. Um, I think they'll reach, I think, uh, the EU will give some ground on fishing. The UK will give some ground on level playing fields. There'll be a deal. Um, I think the UK Parliament will probably sit through Christmas to get it done. Um, uh, and sadly, I, th- I think there's going to be a bit of chaos at the ports in, in January. That's my that's my prediction. Alex, your prediction? Well, I hope there's a deal, obviously. Um to your point, Adam, yeah, we, we, we are expecting more chaos. You're right. That's exactly what we've been informed by our freight forwarder. So we will be avoiding Felix Stone until after Chinese New Year is the intention. Um, and hopefully by, well, that'd be sort of like end of February, life will be good again, if only. If only. Simon. Uh, I'd, guess, I'd guess it right this week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, there will be a deal, uh, but it won't be the final deal uh, because... It can't be the final deal because no one knows what's going to happen. So uh, it's going to be suck it and see. And there are already contradictions. The Northern Irish situation is very strange. And Scotland's going to go berserk about it. So, you know, you know, we haven't even had time to talk about all of that yet. Um, I think there will be chaos in January, February, definitely. Um, but I think that was going to happen anyway. Uh, but I think we'll be talking about this for years to come. Um, and there we will leave Brexit, Adam Payne and Alex Stewart. Thank you very, very much indeed. It's been fascinating conversation. Simon, anything for us to look out for next week? Uh, no, it is uh, still all breakfast, uh, breakfast Brexit and coronavirus. Uh, we expect <laughs> everybody's telling us in London we're moving to tier three next week. Uh, which will be disastrous for the hospitality. Come and join us. Come and join us. What we don't know is, are we reopening then? Is it three, four days later for Christmas? Uh, I don't know. It seems mad to close people down for five days and then to reopen them again. And can I just say, there are other nations and regions in the UK other than than London. I mean, yeah. Yeah, they're all closed down anyway. Wales is in complete chaos. Uh, and uh, they don't seem to be able to cope in Wales. Scotland, well, she's keeping a firm grip, but we don't know the true picture up there, really. And um, the rest of the country is just nervously watching. 
And we'll keep nervously watching this week. Simon, <laughs> um, have a good week. Mickey, uh, you and me next week for the Christmas special. Yes. Wow. Sanity. I hope um, you're going to get your Christmas jumpers on. And Liz, will you be singing in the Christmas special? No way. <laughs> you heard sing. I've heard her sing. On the week. Oh, no. On the week, they're predicting that Maria Carey, after 26 years, will go to number one with All I Want for Christmas is You. I think we should hear your rendition of that. Come on, Liz. She's gone silent, everybody. I'm, I'm saying, He's I'm gone. staying firmly on mute. He has gone silent, everybody. I'm going to stay firmly on mute. Uh, so next week, join us for the Christmas special. Mickey will have his Christmas jumper on, and if you're lucky enough to be able to see the shot, oh, oh, bloody ho. Zoom <laughs> that should be quite fun. Uh, and um, all I can say is that in the meantime, if you want to listen to any of our podcasts that have been running since May, any of our political interviews uh, or of our well-being in business podcast, then come and find them at backinbusiness.org.uk. If you want to contribute, want to take part, want to comment, then please, we're on Twitter at business underscore backin, or you can email us at, contact us at backinbusiness, all one word, .org.uk. See you next week. Bye.